swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. What's going I on, be a everybody? It is Kyle here. Right Welcome to, to part 1.2 of our best Disney hybrid movie bracket. I appreciate you all coming back to figure out who's going to move on past this round of 16 before we get to the Elite Eight coming up this next Monday. Uh, some housekeeping stuff. Listen, life's been crazy. We owe you guys a Luca review episode. Black Widow just came out. Maybe we'll do one of those. Jungle Cruise is on the horizon. Life's back. We outside. And uh, it's, it's going to get tough to keep up with all of these movie releases. So uh, we'll give our takes. Maybe we'll do some shorter intro uh, episodes as opposed to, you know, full blown mini apps uh, moving forward for these movies. But we promise you we're watching them. We will give you our thoughts if, if you've been wanting to hear, hear those. Um, this upcoming Monday, we'll release part two of this best Disney movie hybrid bracket. Uh, before we do, please, if you can, go rate us on iTunes, follow us on all of our social stuff. Uh, all of that helps us get found, get discovered. We want people to find our show and join this Mouse Madness Nation we have built. Uh, it, it, we love everybody that has joined in on any conversation that we've had. So if you want to be on the show, if you want to you know, leave some, some comments, feel free to do that. All of our social stuff is linked in the description of this show. Um, and yeah, so to let you know where we left off last time, uh, number one, Mary Poppins moved on. They will be facing the number nine, So Dear to My Heart. Number four, Pete's Dragon, somehow, in my mind, <laughs> moved on, and it will be facing off versus the number 12, Babes in Toyland. So, without further ado, here is the second part of this round of 16. Thank you so much. So let's hop over to the other side of the bracket where we've got number two, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, versus number 15, Christopher Robin. I find both of these movies to be very enjoyable. Uh, I, I, wa I grew up watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit a lot. This is a Same. movie I'm very, very familiar with. And uh, in seeing it on this bracket in the two seat, I'm like, this is a very strong two. Um, it th like the whole concept of the movie is hybrid animation that like humans right. and tunes live together, coexist in the same universe. It's very meta in that way that yeah. they, they like call out the tunes, they call them by names, they reference them as actors. Um, love all the little cameos from like non Disney characters, like, yeah. uh, Yosemite Sam, uh, Daffy and uh, Daffy, Daffy dueling with Donald. D yeah, yeah. Uh, Boo Boopy Doop. What's her name? Betty Boop. Betty Boop. Poopity <laughs> Poopity Scoop. Um, <laughs> I still got it, Eddie. Scoopity Whoop Poop. Poop Poopity Scoop. Um, you got Bugs Bunny in there at one yep. point as well, and then yeah, you've also got like some solid Disney cameos. Uh, Brayer Bear showed up uh, mm -hmm. like in the background in a couple places. Uh, you got uh, Jumbo Junior Jumbo eating Junior. peanuts. You got the entire cast of Fantasia. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's like it's like the original Ready Player One. You know, yes. where you're like you're like, oh, I know that character. I know that character. And like as a kid, it was really cool to kind of like see that uh, kind of like mashup. Totally. I I don't know how they pulled that off. Like getting contracts with like Warner Bros. and uh, Universal too. Shoot, that, I don't know. It's that but, Spielberg 
Spielberg produced. I guess. Movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess so. Uh, made the connection. So it's a movie I enjoy. Hybrid is good in a lot of places. Really good in a lot of places, but also kind of gets awkward in places as well, where it seems like the actors are like overacting. Um, in anticipation of the animation being added, for example, uh, Judge Doom like picks up a little shoe to demonstrate the dip, and and yeah, you can see his his <laughs> arm like shaking like this. It's like the shoe's not really moving that much. Yeah. Um. So it's kind of. I mean, no offense to Christopher Lloyd, a legendary actor. I think he's great in this role, but that moment I was kind of like, ah, do less, Chris. Uh, the dip, by the way, the the formula for dip. Uh, what acetone, uh, turpentine, benzene, or something like yep. that? Yep. That is paint thinner. That is like the chemical formula of paint thinner. That's funny. Which which makes sense, right? Because yep. they're like ink and paint drawings. Yep. But but what I don't get is how like in the finale of the movie when there's that giant tank of paint thinner getting sprayed around the warehouse, they're like completely like sober. And they're not like high out of their minds from inhaling toxic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so real. Wow. Disney was fine with drunken, wasted characters, but just not high characters. Obviously, right. I love Turnt Boy uh, Roger drinking yep. the shot in Arkham Maroon's office. I love drunk Eddie Valiant as well. Like they do his alcoholism very, very good. They give him like a little physical kind of like tick. Yeah. When he when he wants a drink, he kind of like feels his face. I, I really like Eddie Valiant as a hero. Uh, I think very relatable. He's got a good backstory with the dead brother. His dad was a clown, former circus performer. He's a little <laughs> bit curmudgeon in his older years. Like this got an ex-girlfriend. The story, talk about a movie that like doesn't take itself seriously, but is shot so seriously, right? Like yeah. these backgrounds yeah. and the storylines are so absurd and they're acting as if like this is real life actually uh uh life or death and then but at the same time the storyline is so absurd that you just know that the writers did not take this uh take themselves so seriously it's just such a well done film overall i think like, we could we could spend all day talking yes. about the really good hybrid moments that are in this movie yeah. Uh, baby Herman smoking a cigar like they're just so many little things you know that they pull off really well but just to call out a couple of like bad animation moments in the lounge scene when Jessica like makes her debut <laughs> uh, her dress is made of these like shiny sequins and for those of you who are like photoshop users when you create a clipping mask for like a layer <laughs> And you move the original layer that's being clipped around the like layer that is ma being masked like stays and, and it looks super unnatural. And that's like yeah. what I was thinking of when I was watching Jessica's dress move around. It was like yeah. her body kind of like leans to the left, but like the pattern doesn't lean left with her. It just like stays stationary yeah. in one spot. Yeah. Uh, and it looks pretty goofy to me. Uh, it's very distracting. Also, there are a lot of moments where characters are like randomly super blurry. Mm -hmm. When Eddie arrives at the crime scene at the Acme warehouse, it, there's like a shot of Jessica in the office and she's like so blurry. And yeah. even like when Tweety Bird is in Toontown, like doing this little piggy went to market, like he's super blurry. I don't know. I don't know what that's about, but it kind of is not super clean. So uh, Christopher Robin is a movie I had not seen. 
hmm. ever. I mean, I like Winnie the Pooh. I'm a big Pooh fan. I just didn't really find the need to. I was like, I don't, I mean, I could kind of guess what is going to happen in this movie. Like, it's going to be like Mary Poppins Returns. Like, Winnie the Pooh <laughs> comes back when Christopher Robin's an old guy and then, like, teaches him how to be young again, which, yes, that is what the movie's about. But it goes about it to me in a very enjoyable way. Uh, this movie had a $75 million budget, which is much less than I thought it was going to be. $99 million domestic gross, $197 million worldwide gross. So actually pretty good uh, movie from a business perspective. I I guess like I, I'm kind of scarred by Mary Poppins Returns because it seems like with the soft reboot, they're trying to do so much. Like I said, they're trying to reference the original. They're trying to build something new. Um, and with this, they really didn't do a whole lot of like, hey, remember that time on Winnie Pooh and we did the can not not bit or like, hey, remember the time, you know, we did the we did played the Hundred Acre Woods song like everything was just just felt really new. Yeah. You know, I mean, even down to the way that these characters are animated. Uh, I watched some behind the scenes B-roll and it was so awkward watching because they're like, they're people basically just holding stuffed animals up to of the camera the and, yes. and like, and like talking behind them. you like, Oh, Christopher Robin, can I have some acorns? It's so cringy to watch, you know, from that perspective. But yeah. by the time it makes it to screen, it looks so good. It is yeah. so real looking and yes. uh, I absolutely love it. Uh, the score, like the score a lot. A lot of like little subtle Winnie the Pooh um, like themes get kind of like sprinkled in throughout, which I really like. Uh, so to point out some like specific hybrid moments, I guess, uh, Eeyore floating down the river. <laughs> love it. And then when Christopher Robin picks him up, he's like dripping with water. All yes. of that looks supernatural. And I mean, there are a lot of moments where like characters pick up these guys throughout the movie and every time it just looks really good. And I guess that is because they're like actually picking up a stuffed animal. Right. Yeah. The movie ends with uh, Pooh crushing a honey pot, um, holding it in his hand. It's like very, it is probably a real honey pot um, that Christopher Robin puts his arm around Pooh. The credits roll. I mean, there is not a single moment in this movie where I'm like, ah, that interaction between you know, human and animation did not look very good. Um, and like for that, I really can't knock it for anything uh, when it comes to the hybrid stuff. I, I guess, you know, the only thing you can really knock is like, is this hybrid in like a true sense? You know, like they are dealing with mostly physical props here, you know? Um, and I guess the production budget speaks to that where you'd expect something that features so much animation to have a much larger budget, but it didn't at all. I had, this one's really hard. I mean, like Roger Rabbit gets off the rails in some places, like when Eddie Valiant goes to Toontown and it just gets like a little bit wacky. I honestly like fast forwarded through that part. Like when I was rewatching it where like he sees the like fake Jessica, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it gets, it's very cartoony, you know, like, Oh, let's do a chase scene. Um, so it kind of slumps towards the middle there. Christopher Robin, I wasn't bored with at all. I think they did a really good job. Like, formulating a story, creating some new characters, having some great themes, and also revisiting characters that we already love. There were a bunch of great, like, Pooh comedy moments throughout, uh, like when they're walking through the train station and Pooh's like, mm, can I have a travel balloon? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, no, I gotta get a travel balloon. He's like, mm, but I really want one. 
It's just that, you know, it's like that subtle poo comedy that I think works really well. Uh, I'm going to do it. I'm going with Christopher Robin with the upset over, over who framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, I do not understand the, the Roger hate. I'm, I'm actually a fan of the character, fan of the movie, but I, I enjoyed Christopher Robin as a movie, as a hybrid movie better this time around. I think even besides the fact that the actors were working with physical stuffed animals in the making of Christopher Robin, the way it's shot takes a lot of pressure off of the animation to to carry the the life likeness yeah. of the yeah. film. Because And they the already film, don't have to be very lifelike because no, they're, they're stuffed like animals. stuffed animals. They don't have to have fluid movements. Yeah. The movie is so gray. Like it's so yeah. mm-hmm. like dark and low light and so like England. So England. And <laughs> so when you're working with low light like that, it's a little easier to get away with the animation maybe not looking as crisp because uh, the lighting helps to kind of mask that. Um, and because they're stuffed animals. So like they're going to walk like stuffed animals. They're going to move like stuffed animals. And so I think they did a ph- phenomenal job. Uh, I saw this one in theaters. Um, and I remember just really, really liking it. It's a very warm movie. It's one of those like, yeah. you know, I, I need something to put on that I don't need a, a ton of mental investment in, but that will make me feel good at the end. And this is one of those films. Um, I think that uh, Ewan McGregor does a fantastic job as Christopher Robin. I think that the storyline is simple. I think that um, the going back and forth between the Hundred Acre Woods and London is super fun. And the way that the um, stuffed animals interact with the world, like when um, they get launched in the street and land on the windshield of Christopher yes. Robin's car, like yes. it looks like stuffed animals got thrown out of a, a vehicle, although they wouldn't stick. They would pop off and <laughs> bounce onto the floor. But uh, for this movie, it, it looked fun. and It was good. Roger Rabbit. I mean, they were working with a lot of physical props in that as well. Um, if you watch any of the making of this movie stuff, like they had a Roger um like statue thing that they would use as a reference point especially with uh eddie valiant like they they needed that roger was in almost every single scene you know like they needed to have that reference point and they were there were so many practical things happening and effects happening during this movie like you think about the weasels holding real guns you know, like yeah. these were guns that were on strings and people were like puppeting them around the room. <laughs> and then the weasels were animated to be holding them. The The precision in the and the planning that had to go through to make that happen is incredible. The the lounge scene, it's like the stage is set up above the actual floor, like the sound stages. So there's a bunch of like sticks that are walking through past people that are the trays balancing drinks. And so that like in the if you take out all of the animation, it's just a bunch of sticks of things moving the octopus doing the the bartending. There's just a bunch of like things floating around and they had to animate that in and they did a great job. I think that's what makes it so like it's not believable, but you could believe that this would happen is that they used all of these practical items instead of like forcing the actors to hold fake things and then make it appear like. The penguins can bring up real glasses. They can take the glass and then that transfer doesn't have to happen. Where it gets sketchy is when they do have to physically handle or interact with the the characters themselves. 
So you have like Eddie holding Roger's ears and that gets a little shifty sometimes when he dunks him under the water and pulls him back up uh, when the weasels show up to his house. That gets a little dicey sometimes. And even just him in Toontown in general gets a little dicey. Um, But again, if you watch some of the making of stuff, they had to invent, invent a lot of technology for this film because you notice that like the characters react to shadows like the lighting is also reflected into the characters and that's not something that really had been done like you think about elliot's dragon like he looks the kind of the same shade of green no matter what lighting he's in and while uh roger is like going from light to shadow you can see him make that transition where the lights are are on him as well and that's the jessica rabbit thing as well they used like um What's that? Oh, they used like cellophane and like Mm. crumpled it up and then shined light through it and then used that to layer over the animation of her dress. And that's why it looks like it's just it stays like still because it was just like a piece of cellophane. And they that they had to invent that. They had to create that effect to make it look like a character is shining and reacting to the light of the stage. It blows my mind that they had to like make all of these things. Um. (laughs) Yeah, when it comes to the better hybrid movie, I mean, better in execution as far as seamlessness goes is probably Christopher Robin. Um, the better of the two movies, I just think that like Roger Rabbit is just such a great film because it's this adult theme, a murder mystery in this wacky cartoon world. And this film was like made definitely for adults. Like this isn't like kids will enjoy it. I grew up watching it over and over again, but I didn't get the themes. I didn't get that like Jessica Rabbit playing patty cake with uh, Maroon in the in her room was supposed to be this like sex scandal uh, reference. You mm-hmm. know, like it's just a very, very smart movie. And every like there's, of course, overacting for sure. But uh that the the actors in it are just so so phenomenal so this one's actually tough for me because i like i think christopher robin might be a pretty low ranked movie for what it is i think it could be up there a little higher than this so it's unfortunate that it's you know up against the number two seed but i think um i think just for what it meant for the company and for animation for hybrid movies in general and what a showstopper this film was i'm gonna have to go with roger rabbit which means that chelsea you're gonna have to break yet another tie again okay so i had a lot of thoughts written down for uh who framed roger rabbit because i hadn't seen this one before and i loved it like i thought especially in terms of like the hybrid um like reality versus or you know live action versus animation it did a really really wonderful job depicting the two um, what I, certain things that I found were fun was it was, uh, it gave us the idea of what running a studio would look like if your animated characters were real actors that you had to deal with. Um, and it was also funny to watch like the mini production studio battles because you see Donald Duck and Daffy Duck fighting each other. And essentially that's two different studios that have always been in battle with each other, um, that so it, it's all fun and games for me in looking at it from that perspective because then you see the, the the kind of behind the scenes of the studios kind of bickering between the two who who wins it's always disney but they <laughs> pretend that they pretend that there's an actual argument 
Um, but I also really liked that in with this animation piece that you see the cartoons in in the animated world, the cartoons can die millions of times and they just bounce right back up. It's no big deal. You know, you can have a refrigerator drop on your head like we see in the beginning of the, the in one of the first scenes and Roger Rabbit's totally fine. Whereas yeah. in real life, if you have a fr- refrigerator drop on your head, you are you are good as gone. Like so, uh, like Valiant's brother who exactly. had a piano dropped on him. Exactly. And you see that. And then so with in the animated world, you see how the animated characters are basically full of life all the time, no matter what. Then they get into the real world and they still are full of life no matter what. They can be the it the only way to actually kill them is with this new invention of the the type of serum that that ends them. Yep. Um whereas in real life, regardless and in Toontown, you if an, if a human gets murdered, they are murdered. That's it. So <laughs> it was kind of funny how it's like the animated characters like they kind of get best of both worlds no matter what like they're fine in any world and when you're we're now clearly living in like this movie is set in a world where both animation and live action live simultaneously and live together um that when the humans bridge into the into the toontown like it the rules don't apply like the animation rules don't apply to them so i thought that was really fun just to kind of play with back and forth um, and what was also cool is that in the first few scenes, when you see, when they, they pan back to the studio and you do see, you know, the Fantasia characters and you see all of the different, it was, to me, it was kind of like, and this was one of the, one of the last movies that I watched that I was like, it's, this is kind of like a good wholesome packaging up this, this yeah. Marge Madness or Mouse Madness is because it showcased almost like characters from every single film that we watched or totally. for this bracket. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. It was very wholesome for me, which was great. And then also it was funny because you're watching the whole time and I'm like, yeah, this is not for kids. Like this is <laughs> some suggestive content. Yeah. And I mean, and there's always those like Disney family channel TV shows where you look back now and you're like, wow, that was I didn't it went over my head as a kid. But wow, like that's incredible. But like, I don't even know how you get past like the alcoholism and the violence and, and the, the foul language. And, yeah. yeah. And like, I mean, they said hell. And I was like, oh my God, they said hell in the kids movie. And then I'm like, wait, because this is clearly not a kids movie as it like progresses. And then especially with the whole sex scandal thing. And although I did find it funny the way that they played that one off the playing patty cakes. So that was that was very good. But all of that being said, I really wanted to get all those thoughts out because Christopher Robin really hits it. It's and so there's recency bias, which is definitely playing into factor here. But there were so many memorable quotes in this movie that, and you don't need to know anything about Winnie the Pooh to yes, yeah, it, right. to engage with them and to get teared up by them um, and to appreciate them. And but if you do know stuff about, like if you are a Winnie the Pooh fan, then all it's it just makes it homey all all the more. Like it just really kind of like just captures your heart altogether. Yes. This movie really pushes over the topic of the storytelling um, because it's about a man losing his innocence, his childlike wonder, and the importance of getting that back. And like, I mean, that is one of Disney's main themes in every movie all the time um, is, and you're always a child. You don't have to grow up and you're, you don't have to leave your imagination behind in your childhood. And that's something as, 
you know, almost 26 year old, I'm constantly trying to fight for like, no, 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 it's okay. I don't need to grow up. I can stay here and never, never land. But because we do not have a movie in this roster that has moved along that has focused more on the CGI animation, I am going to move Christopher Robin forward because I think there's just so many, like, I loved Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There's no shade on it whatsoever, but it, it, I just think it, Christopher Robin deserves to move on. And I'm curious to see how it will go up against the, in the, the elite, elite eight. So yes, I'm going to move Incredible. Christopher Robin. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> I cannot believe that that just happened. I, I feel like this was going to be when Roger was finally going to get some credit. And, and we just, we just took that from him. <laughs> hey, when you say we wasn't me, I'll tell you that. Right <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next matchup. It is the number seven, three caballeros versus number 10, the reluctant dragon, uh, three caballeros. Uh, it's, it's Donald's birthday and Donald's getting some presents from his boys over in, uh, South America and Mexico. And these are characters that we were introduced to originally in Saludos Amigos, um, a, a, another package film of sorts. And this one is similarly kind of like a package film. Um, Donald gets invited back to South America and they go on these adventures. Uh, a lot of this film is animation you get the animation live action hybrid towards the end when donald is out in veracruz and is dancing with folks um you get some weird like soaring over mexico vibes in which they're like soaring on this magic serape and they are spying on girls at the beach <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so uncomfortable and the fact that his name's donald it's just the icing on the cake. Yeah, it's um about movies that don't age well. This is one of those big time. Um, Donald's chasing women, uh, which is interesting because they also they portray they make the women act as if they're also like into Donald or like they're, you know, like it's this really just not great setup for this. No, film and, and Donald never wears pants already which is let's, suspect let's set that up okay uh in in business they say abc always be closing apparently donald duck's new slogan is abc always be creeping because in every single one of these like three caballeros movies he's totally sleaze yes and and when they're on the beach you can tell that it was like a parking lot at the Walt Disney Studios in Burbank. Oh, yeah. Like you can very clearly see the mountains of Los Angeles behind them. And I'm like, and I, I get this kind of with like Reluctant Dragon 2 a little bit, which we'll talk about, but like how much of this was like an excuse for a bunch of creepy studio people to invite like 200 women in bathing suits to the studio lot that day. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's not great. And that's basically that's the hybrid part of this film is that um that like beach scene which is not super great so yeah during this time early 40s they were they had just come back the studio had just come back from their 
Good Faith tour of South America. And now they have all of this stuff. So they like made the three Caballeros because Saludos Amigos did so well. And so then we get the the reintroduction of these characters once again in Melody Time, which is 1948. And we'll talk about that later. So they were just on this big like Latin influence kick during this time. And it worked so well with Saludos Amigos. Like that was a fairly successful film that they just kept trying to cash in using a lot of the animation pieces of the previous film. Like they just could just rinse and repeat. Boom, throw it out. Boom, throw it out and try and make money as they could. And that was a lot of what the Three Caballeros was. It's also interesting because like it's Donald's birthday. He goes on this like trip. But then we get these like cut scenes of like the the young gaucho that meets the flying donkey and then enters the flying donkey mm-hmm. into a race. And like that has like Donald's just really non-existent during this pack, like this part. Like there was a theme like you had brought up, like with fun and fancy free. There was an established through line for this film. And at parts it abandons it. And that's like one of them is when we um we for whatever reason get to meet the flying donkey. Yeah, like it it I guess to me it came off as like it's a history of mm-hmm. everything south of the border mm-hmm. as told through birds, starting with penguins and then going up through Mexico. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. I think I got that right. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I mean it was very light edutainment. But it's funny because we had just two years earlier, we got Saludos Amigos, which was like we are hopping countries in South America yeah. and doing like the same thing. Um, but we didn't. But the through line was that these animators were taking a tour of South America while this through line was like it's Donald's birthday. <laughs> and I don't know. And anyways, it's interesting. Um, but the live action part sucks. It is it is very cringe to get through the reluctant dragon. As far as cringe and things that don't hold up well. Not much better um, <laughs> as far as like live actionness goes. Uh, there's a lot of racial stereotyping in this film. Um, this film is about a, a man who is going to try and pitch a story to Walt Disney at the Walt Disney Studio lot um, and essentially just goes on a tour. It's like one of the first like mockumentaries, right? It's, yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. this guy going through and they even say at the beginning of the film, This picture is made to answer the many requests to show the backstage life of animated cartoons. P.S. Any resemblance to a regular motion picture is purely coincidental. So tongue in cheek saying like, okay, we know you want to see what the studio lot looks like, but we don't want to do tours. So here's this movie that is like just a tour, but it's not a movie, but is a movie. And it's yeah. So that's cool. It's cool to see the studio lot in the 40s right it's cool to go through these buildings it's cool to go along and see this tour of the studios for sure um he goes through like a production meeting he goes through a storyboard meeting he goes through um reference drawing he goes through a sound stage uh in which they're recording a score he goes through the sound effects uh being layered onto a cartoon like it's cool to see the animation process in the 40s, at least how Disney wants us to see it through this. Um, and then the animation comes into different points when we get like the Casey Jr. short. Uh, at the very end, we get the uh, Reluctant Dragon short, which was the story he was going to pitch, but Walt already had been planning to do this book, uh, to do this short. So um, it's interesting. The uh, Ward Kimball is back. This fool is not only 
one of the lead animators on the movie, but he is in the movie because yes. Ward was just everywhere during this time. Um, and then Fred Moore, who's another one, uh, another animator, he was featured in the How to Ride a Horse sequence when he shows uh, Benchley that, that short. And then Norm Ferguson, who's another animator, is the one that's drawing uh, Pluto. And, and then the I think I ID'd Ken Anderson drawing the elephant at the beginning. And right. I think Ollie Johnson drawing baby weems. Okay. Problematic. They have an, they have an Asian lady drawing Dumbo as, as like, as like an Asian elephant with like a rice patty hat. And the the animator that's like leading Benchley through uses like a very derogatory ter- yes, term to yes. like reference her and the drawing. And it, it's just like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. uh-oh. And to to like all of these with any sort of uh, cultural outdated references or just straight up racist references, Disney puts the, the disclaimer at the beginning of the film. Not, I'm not excusing them. I'm just saying that they're not just throwing this out. They're not saying like, oh, well, we didn't know. Like they know. And they, they, they acknowledge it at the beginning of the films. Um, and then halfway through, this thing turns into color because he's in the Technicolor room. And we get a very, very long sequence of them mixing paints. <laughs> and, I was into that. Colors. I actually really enjoyed that part. That like, might be my favorite part of the movie when they're, when they're like mixing the paints. It was like very satisfying. Yeah, I was going to say the very woman, the woman in the gas mask like picks up a paint and is like, I'm like, that is an instant meme right there. Like that is, that is so funny. Like, and so extra, honestly, yes. it reminded me of the Willy Wonka opening credits where they're like making the candy uh, and the chocolate, the original <laughs> Willy Wonka. And it's like some, somehow it's like paint mixing is just very satisfying. Yeah. Um, so in these two films, uh, the three caballeros, only thing I like out of that movie is the song, The Three Caballeros. Very catchy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Love singing that. But the live action hybridness of it is, it, it hurts. <laughs> it's so hard to watch. So yeah. just because of that, the reluctant dragon's going to move on uh, just based on default. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You didn't mention the Keendine song, uh, which is about, like Donald's trying to eat some cookies and like some lady is selling cookies. Um, it's, it's a little bit, it's kind of like the first hybrid moment in three caballeros. Oh yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's kind of fun at first. You're like, Oh, like Donald's dancing along with these other people. But of course he's being like really creepy to her and like his heart is beating out of his chest and he's drooling and all that stuff. Um, but there's a moment when they start doing some, fun choreo and it's like some fun instruments and stuff like the real people this guy like takes what looks like a his guy takes what looks like a pencil and is like playing it up against his mouth yeah it is so weird looking i'm like i'm pretty sure i invented this instrument in the classroom when i was like like elementary school rattling his teeth (laughs) with a pencil (laughs) so so bizarre but i mean i agree uh everything donald's super creepy this movie is super creepy don't like it Reluctant Dragon, also creepy. I did want to like call out that Walt Disney himself appears towards the end of the movie at, while they're like about to screen the Reluctant Dragon. And I don't know about you two. Maybe this is a question for both of you. But like when I think about Walt Disney, if you're like close your eyes and picture Walt Disney, he is 
Tom in his Hanks. later no, years. <laughs> I mean, you know, not too far off. He's like, he's like in his later years and he's doing the world of Disney and like explaining Epcot or like explaining the world's yeah. fair attractions. You know, he's like, he's like Imagineer Walt talking about his visions for the future. And he's kind of old and grizzled looking. Is that, is that accurate to you two as well? It's always shocking seeing young Walt. I'll tell you that. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, even for me too, like my, probably my first thought is this, the clip when he's introducing Disneyland, like Mm -hmm. this is Disneyland. Welcome to. And so that's probably what I picture first. And then, yeah, seeing young Walt. And even afterwards, I was curious. So I was just going on Google and looking him up and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, like I think of him more on the old, his older stages than his younger stages. Yeah. I mean, uh, what people called him like Grandpa Walt or like Papa Walt or something Uh, like he was. Uncle Walt, yeah, he was known to have that nickname because he was really kind of looked up to and he kind of had this like wisdom that was right. emanating from him. But yeah. in Reluctant Dragon, I can see you don't really see a lot of him, but you see Benchley sit down next to him and Walt is like, oh, hey, how's it going? And he puts his foot, his like his right foot goes up on the chair. And like, you know, when someone sits like that in a chair, <laughs> that they are a very certain type of person. Is usually someone who is a creative type and like yes. who does not who does not like to be indoors, does not like to be sitting down, does not like to be in meetings, and that was just fascinating to kind of see that eccentric creative side of Walt from his younger years come out just in totally. that little moment. Totally. Uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to say else about the Reluctant Dragon. Like the Reluctant Dragon sequence itself is kind of like meh. I felt it was a bit annoying, particularly like in the voice acting for the reluctant dragon character. All in all, I do think reluctant dragon is a more enjoyable, rewarding watch than the three caballeros because on the plus side, at least it kind of takes you through some of the aspects of the Disney studio and the animation making process, um, which if, if you've like never seen that before, it might be really cool to you to see how they use, um, you know, the animation cells and they, you know, paint in, in multiple layers and stuff like that. So I'm going with Reluctant Dragon. Chels, congratulations. You don't have to break a tie, <laughs> but do you agree with that decision? 100%. And what I love so much is that you brought up not only the different idiosyncrasies without the movie, but Chris, especially the way that you noticed how Walt sat in his chair, because that is exactly what I was thinking. Like, huh. and that's why if you like see my face in this playback where I'm like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> because I, when I saw him sit and the way he pulls his leg up, I, exactly what you just said. It's the, you see the type of personality he had and who he was. And especially when you, if you watch the documentary, um, Walt before, Mickey, you get a sense of really who he was as this creative person and how it was his brother that needed to do the, the business side of things. And if you watch um, the uh, the Imagineering story, it really does kind of go through how Roy had to like tame the creative side of Walt because Walt was like, we're just doing everything. And here's I'm going to take my imagination and throw it out into the world. And Roy had to be like, well, but there's a business here we need to think about. And so just in that little like two second bit in the film, you can see that from Walt. And it was also just really magical to see a film and you're like, oh, my God, there he is. Yeah. Um, so 
What's funny is that for a lot of these films, the, the disclaimer pops up. Um, I have seen it before, and while it doesn't excuse it, and there, it's still a little problematic for sure, um, I do appreciate that in the disclaimer it does says it was wrong then and it's wrong now. I think a lot of people get like caught up in the in the idea that it was these you know depictions and these stereotypes weren't wrong back then. They're just wrong now, and it's like no, they were always wrong. We need to agree on that. They were never right. They were just accepted, and they shouldn't have ever been accepted. So I do appreciate Disney saying that and not kind of cowering and hiding behind the fact that um that oh it was accepted back then so it was fine it's just not fine now so that's just my little tidbit because we will see that those disclaimers come up in a, a few of the other films uh that are coming up in the brackets but um Locked dragon i when i read the the little piece uh like the little synopsis of what it was i was like i need to fully just read <laughs> in this movie because i am a huge animation documentary junkie I've nice. seen every documentary there is on Disney nice. Plus for animation. Um, I've watched the um, Into the Unknown Frozen documentary oh, yeah. so three good. times because yeah, it's so just good. so good. And every single time I learn something new. And so I was so excited to see this. Um, and I thought that the hybrid aspects of, of it were were well done for the type of like documentary mocu mockumentary, I think is what you called it, Kyle, that... I thought it was well done and I liked, I loved the paint scene. Um, I loved learning, seeing the different departments within within animation, especially because you, you learn a little bit more about it and how each department made fun of the main character a lot, which was cool. And then of course you see how the storytelling, um, we don't get to see what, the story of the reluctant dragon until the very end, but realistically we were watching the reluctant dragon throughout the entire film because he represented the character yeah. so in terms of storytelling and ter in terms of everything else it just hits so much better so that <laughs> one for sure was moving on regardless all right on to the next matchup it's number three enchanted versus 14 fantasia i will make this really quick for us uh fantasia great movie uh i i consider this an animated movie though like there there's uh, some like interspersed footage of the conductor guy like describing the piece that is about to be performed which i really appreciate um and i like that he sets the stage for each little kind of like portion but uh i mean that's about it for me unless i'm missing something <laughs> like you're not uh you can't i mean you can't not love little baby flying unicorns uh you can't not love the uh you know iconic dancing ostriches and dancing hippos and dancing alligators and stuff. Um, and of course the Chernabog in the night on bald mountain sequence timeless. Um, but if we're talking about hybrid animation enchanted, definitely the better option with some really great animation in the, in the intro kind of bit when they're in Andalasia still, it feels Disney, but also like there's, there's just a little like lighting maybe and shadowing that's added that makes it just, seems slightly up leveled almost yeah obviously giselle and the other characters make it into new york city um and comedy ensues uh there's a little chipmunk that is kind of like the the hybrid thread that is <laughs> is present throughout enchanted um that kind of represents the hybrid nature and he is a main character and he is featured a lot uh so i think enchanted is, is a very easy one for me in this round yep i agree with you we can break down enchanted in the next episode, uh, Chels, 
any words about Fantasia before we we bump it off? Love Fantasia, of course, and a, a you can't miss the Sorcerer's Apprentice bit um, course, as that lives on forever. Um, but realistically, like the really only um, interaction between live action and animation was when after that sequence, Mickey comes up and and talks to the conductor but it's it within right, shadows right. Yeah. it's not yeah. even within like you don't even see like the full form of the animation it's all just within like the the silhouettes so it for this type it doesn't hit but i do loved the type of throwback that we saw um with Walt's silly symphonies so i liked yeah, yeah, yeah. that collaboration but it just it's not enough to to beat out enchanted totally Let's move into our final matchup of this round of 16. It's the number six, Saludos Amigos, versus the number 11, Melody Time. Saludos Amigos, as I referenced before, is a film that was made and sponsored by the U.S. government. Um, This was a (laughs) film that they wanted to sweeten the relations between themselves and the South American powers, uh, especially during World War II. And they did so by sending Walt over there because Walt was so universally universally loved um, and looked up to uh, that they he agreed. He was also in some like some turmoil within his own studio at the time. They were losing money. He was kind of losing his creative spark, and so this was a way for him to like get out of the studio and try and reinvigorate himself and his creativity, which he does multiple times throughout his tenure as head of the Walt Disney Animation Studios because um, there are some rocky roads uh, throughout his entire life. So he takes all of his favorite animators. We get Mary Blair. We get uh, we get Ward Kimball. We get, I believe, Ollie Johnson. But I could be wrong. Um, and their families. And they all go to South America. And Saludos Amigos is the coverage of their trip done so by showing us some live action of the animators visiting these countries um, and then followed up by or integrated with some sort of animated short. Um, So it's basically a package film, but it's also a travel film. So so we go to we go to like Bolivia and Brazil. Uh, We then go over we fly over the like Andes Mountains in Chile. We go to Argentina, we go to Brazil, um, and that's basically where we end is in Brazil. And that that was mostly their trip. Um, if you watch Walt and El Grupo, which I believe is on Disney Plus, that is the it documentary is, yeah. about this trip. Uh, and it's very good. It's very interesting to see um, their trip from that perspective as opposed to like their trip from this hybrid perspective. Um, so first stop, Donald's at Lake Titicaca. And he is, uh, it, it's one of those, like, feels like those how-tos goofy shorts, mm-hmm. um, but just featuring mm-hmm. Donald this time around. And most of it is Donald uh, and his new friend, the llama, um, trying to get over a bridge <laughs> in, a, in a very cartoonish way. Um, this is another film that had a cultural depictions uh, warning at the beginning of it because they really character-chured the natives of these places in a way that's like offensive um when they're flying over chile that's represented by pedro the plane we get some awesome toxic masculinity and his big male father and uh who can't complete the mission 
and his mother who can't complete the mission. So Pedro has to go. And this this short was so intense. I don't know. I didn't look into like who was narrating this thing, but they were into it. Uh, there's a, a scene where Pedro is getting stuck in a storm and he has to like try and climb before he crashes. And the entire time the narrator is going, climb, climb, Pedro, climb, drop off the mail, Pedro, come on, Pedro. And I'm just like, what? What is happening? And uh, it's just a weird part in in this packaged film uh, because I don't know. I didn't expect it. Um, it's also just that feels very Disney, like a very Disney short of this like underdog experiences troubles comes out on top. He delivers the mail and the mail was even pointless, right? It was like a postcard. It was yeah, like a, it was. Yeah. Uh, a hello from wherever Argentina. Um, we get to meet an Argentinian artist and I believe it's Walt and Ward who are are out in the field checking out like the the gauchos and and the rituals that gauchos go through uh, as <laughs> as not only like these cultural performances, but as like cowboys. And that makes a lot of sense because Walt was a big horse guy. He like played polo back in the States. One of the I believe the second ever Mickey Mouse feature was Gallop and Gaucho. So this was obviously his sweet spot and was like, we need to highlight this, uh, this moment. They go over to Brazil, Rio de Janeiro. And this is where we see the creation of Jose um, as a character. Jose of the Three Caballeros, of Melody Time, of, of everything there. And he was created by this artist named Jose Carlos de Brito, who was a Brazilian artist. And in fact, Walt wanted to bring him back to work for the studios. And he was like, nah. And so instead, what he did was he drew Jose and sent Walt Jose and said, here's a character that you can have. Now, this is all written from the Disney perspective. So whether or not I almost think that Jose drew Parrot Jose as a thank you for coming to visit. And Walt's like, oh, I'm going to steal that. Oh, that, <laughs> that parrot, was like, that that was parrot my is mine primary takeaway from this was so what you're saying is you stole jose carioca yes thousand percent um and so we get the the final kind of clip which is the watercolor of brazil and chris you brought up that we missed a drunk boy we missed a turnt boy in donald in this as oh, well yeah um, yep so we're thrown into this short with its own credit sequence <laughs> in the middle <laughs> of this package film in these package films, they love to use the like paintbrush painting something and then it animating what the paintbrush is painting. They do that here. Donald is stuck in this drawing world. Uh, he gets drunk and didn't make our list. His hiccups inspire a song and we get a montage of Donald. <laughs> we get a montage of Donald going like clubbing and that's how the movie yeah. ends. <laughs> <laughs> That drink transported him to another dimension. A whole nother dimension. Move over, Dumbo, in your alcohol-fueled dreams. We got Donald going clubbing in Brazil. Donald drank absinthe, I think. He must have. He must have. It's up against Melody Time. This one's from 1948. Utilizing uh, Americana. Another mm. racial depiction. We get Winter Time, which is a short that's heavily influenced by Mary Blair about this couple who has an argument and then a near 
death experience makes them fall back in love with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the 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 bumble boogie, perhaps is what it was called. Uh, it's just like a a mini Fantasia almost. It's uh, the flight of the bumblebee done to animation of a bee escaping like musical notes and pianos and stuff like that. Yeah. Then then we hop right into Johnny Appleseed and Aesop Fable and we get that story and that's where kind of like the caricatures of Native Americans exist and it's not super great. Um, we get a tugboat short. We get the the trees short. And then we get Blame It on the Samba, which we're now back in with Jose and that crazy woodpecker dude from Saludos Amigos, which I didn't even mention, but it's what uh, <laughs> you were doing in your intro of this episode. And they it was like dancing. they wanted it was like they wanted Woody Woodpecker. Yes. So this was their like response to that. Exactly. And they are sad for some reason. And the only way to get them their feelings back up is that they are going to dance to the samba. And we have Ethel Smith, who plays the organ in this. And she is an actual she's an actual organist like she this is what she was known for. And she is shredding on this organ throughout this entire short. And this is the hybrid nature of Melody Time. Um, You get Donald and Jose dancing around. Um, we see her like, um, pian- her organ like break apart and then come back together as mm-hmm. an anime, and she's still playing the she's still playing the pieces of it. Uh, and we get yeah, it, that's basically what that that hybrid is just one big dance party with her on the organ. She plays the bongos at one point. The film wraps up with Pecos Bill, which is actually another animated and and live action hybrid where you have Roy Rogers. And the sons of the pioneers, who are his like backup singers, sitting down with our with our our duo, Bobby and Luana, and they're telling the story of Pecos Bill, which is like the most like it's like Pecos Bill is like the Greek god of Texas, basically. And he yeah. he had he made the landscape of Texas in very different ways, roping a storm and dumping it into a desert, which created the Gulf of Mexico, stopping robbers. And yeeting them so hard that their teeth went into the mountains. And that's why there's gold in the hills. Um, he dug the Rio Grande because he was thirsty. And then we get a little racist. And he shoots Native Americans. And as they run away, their war paint paints the landscape. And that's why the mountains are called like the painted, the painted hills or painted mountains. It's awful. It's bad. Real it bad. is not good. Yeah. <laughs> that That is... Oh man, I hated that. So in this matchup, uh, I'm definitely gonna go with Saludos Amigas because I like the way that they documented this like trip. And instead of just having Walt and the animators go and then produce a animated feature uh using the places that they visited, they used the moment to like do a documentary and then show what they learned or observed through animation. I think that's dope. That's a dope like uh uh storytelling method that they used in that um that i don't think was very common so i'm definitely going to go with saludos amigos uh i am agreeing with you absolutely a couple things about melody time i do want to point out uh johnny appleseed the lord is good to me so i want to break this down here like not completely (laughs) but uh sometimes when we're doing these um like revisiting old things 
like our, our memo memories will just like come back to us and like things that we had just erased from our brains get inserted back again. Yep. And when I was watching this Johnny Appleseed segment, I had a vision in my brain of a pin that said the Lord is good to me and had Johnny Appleseed on it. And okay. I Googled, I Googled Disney, the Lord is good to me, Johnny Appleseed. And the top hit was the pin that I was thinking of in my head. <laughs> wow. And I don't, and I don't know what relationship I have to this pin, where I saw it, whether it was on the internet or at one time I maybe owned it or what, but this Lord is good to me. Like I'm going to make it my mission to figure out what my connection to this, this Johnny Appleseed pin is a little toot. Little toot's kind of a, I don't know what, what word to describe it, but he's, <laughs> he's the worst. Little toot is the worst. Um, Kind of fun talent in that sequence, though. Little two is Mel Blanc, who is Bugs Bunny, yep. and Big Toot or Daddy Toot or whatever, Large Toot, um, our boy Thrill Ravenscroft. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. Legends. That's pretty heavy hitting. Okay, so like Little Two at the at the beginning, he gets in trouble because he like basically bumps this boat and then it goes into the city and like knocks down <laughs> yeah. buildings, and stuff, which like <laughs> physically I don't know how that's possible, but. Uh, like one current event that happened recently was that boat getting stuck in the Suez Canal. And the yeah. first thing I thought was like, did Lil 2 have something to do with yeah. that? Because it seems very likely. Oh my gosh. Are you familiar with the fate of Bobby Driscoll? Didn't he become like an alcoholic and just kind of ran himself out of Hollywood? He became, yes, uh, alcoholic, drug addict, recovered but hollywood did not want him back so he moved to new york city to try to make it on the stage started running with andy warhol oh interesting then got re-addicted to drugs became oh. a homeless person and was found dead in an east village apartment that was about two blocks away from where i used to live whoa on in the east village whoa uh, pretty sad yeah but crazy that I was so close to that totally. site where like he was discovered. Like totally. that's, that's New York. There's like history all around you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm with you on a uh, Saludos Amigos. I like the documentary aspect of it. I think especially like this was kind of at the beginning of like the transportation, like globalization and that kind of stuff. And so that footage of South America is very authentic. Um, shot of like Buenos Aires town square, like, Super authentic, not tainted by like billboards and a bunch of like, you know, cultural appropriations. So I was very into Saludos Amigos. Uh, so that will advance for me as well. Uh, Chels, any thoughts on the final matchup or on any of our matchups as a whole? Like, are we, are we doing good here? <laughs> like, are we at a good place as we move <laughs> on to our next episode, next round? Well, it's funny. I mean, I think this one lasted so long because it was there wasn't very many where you guys both agreed and then we just had to <laughs> kind of move on. It was like I was yeah. a tiebreaker. And even I, after listening to both your arguments and then considering my own argument, I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Totally. So with this one, I'm in agreement for sure, especially, Kyle, with what you said um, at the end of your bit where you noted on the style of um, storytelling. I think that totally hits and I'm all for creative storytelling. Um, so 
I agree. Um, one thing I found with Melody Time that was funny is that it was using a lot of clips from this movie that I watch every Christmas, and it's called Disney's Sing Along Songs, Very Merry Christmas Songs. Mm-hmm. So, oh, we, yep, we yeah. almost had, we, <laughs> we so, almost had to watch all of those. <laughs> I watch it every single time. I absolutely love it. Um, so it was funny because, like, I've watched that movie, I don't know, since I was a kid, every every single Christmas. And a lot of the times I didn't actually know the movies that they were featuring in those totally. um, in those songs. So it was cool to be like, oh, OK, that's where that's from. Oh, that's where that's from. Mm. So that was kind of the only connection I had to Melody Time. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on this adventure <laughs> so far. I know we had a long episode here, but uh, I think we had some good conversations and I think I think the next episode will go a little bit more swimmingly. We got a lot of upsets here. Yeah, a ton of upsets. We have in our Elite Eight next episode, we will start with the number one Mary Poppins versus the number nine So Dear to My Heart. Down the bracket, it's the number four Pete's Dragon versus the number 12 Babes in Toyland. Across the brackets, the number 15 Christopher Robin versus the number 10 Reluctant Dragon. And to round out our Elite Eight, it is the number three Enchanted versus the number six Saludos Amigos. Charles, thanks so much for joining us on this episode we look forward to having you back for part two where you will help us crown the best disney hybrid movie thanks so much guys all right well you know how to reach us you got something to say about hybrid movies send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com hit us up on social media instagram twitter discord facebook all of those linked in the description of this podcast till next time folks adios amigos i want to be a man man cop and stroll right into town Just like the other men, I'm tired of moving around.